0: We welcome you to our Bible study as the radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled A Brewing Storm and it comes from Hosea 8. If you'd like to hear a previous lesson, Go to our Facebook page and you can listen to them there. That's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces. Now Christian Radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the Radio Bible class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you're helping reach people that are listening in our area and on the internet. You can make your donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648. There they can take your information over the phone. Or send us your gift to WordTalk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Your gift to WordTalk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now if you're a regular listener, you know that we've been journeying through the book of Hosea and we're about halfway through. The theme of this book is God's tough love for his people, and we've seen his relentless pursuit after Israel even when they have fallen away from him and chastened after false gods. He has sent many prophets trying to get them to turn back, and now He sent Hosea as their last chance. As a matter of fact, Hosea is asked to do something that no one else in the Bible is asked to do, and that is to marry a prostitute, to be a visual illustration to Israel how they are committing spiritual prostitution to the one true living God. Now Hosea has already given them multiple warnings, and you can sense how a storm is brewing. Because of their resistance to his warning and continuing their sinful ways, you know that God is long-suffering, but eventually this is going to come to an end. All of this is just like a storm that has all the different parts brewing that will eventually create this severe weather breakout. And today we're going to see how Israel has reaped a whirlwind or a tornado of God's judgment. And we live here in the South, and as the seasons change, we get our share of tornadoes. And tornadoes can develop quickly if all the parts are right. As a thunderstorm starts rotating from temperature difference, A downward draft forms and you see a tornado come out of the sky. They form so quickly there are times even with our digital technology and advanced radar that the meteorologists can't warn us fast enough. But we see the wrath of that storm that it leaves behind. A trail of destruction. Israel has been sowing seeds of rebellion for over 200 years. And if you remember, Jeroboam 1 caused a split of the northern and the southern kingdom in Israel. He formed the northern kingdom with the ten northern tribes and he had his temples that he created and, and he made his own false religion where they worship God and idols too. Now after 200 years, God's judgment is like a whirlwind that has been brewing. There's a lot of things that we can learn from Israel and the warning signs that they are given. There are biblical whirlwinds in the Bible that shows God's divine activity. Elijah was taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. God spoke out of the whirlwind to Job in Job 38, 1-4. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. And here's the part I really like, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. God causes this tornado to form and He speaks to Job out of it and He says, Where were you when I was doing all this stuff? So in the Old Testament, God's judgment of destruction was described like that of a severe storm, a whirlwind or a tornado. Now today we see that even though God is a God of long-suffering and patience, that when He does pass judgment though it's quick and decisive. And we need to understand that God is slow to anger, He's long-suffering, there's no immediate judgment a lot of times to our action, but in a matter of fact, it may seem like we get away with that sin because of the lack of judgment right away. But when God decides it's time to deal with that sin, that judgment comes swift and decisive. Israel feels that the judgment is worse than the sins that they've committed, but that really isn't true. God isn't worse to us than our sins deserve, but it's just how the judgment feels. And Israel's sin was sown over a long period of time, over 200 years. But now the judgment is swift and it covers all the sin that they've already forgotten about. So today I really have three points I want to show you out of this whirlwind that Israel has created. So look with me at Hosea 8 verse 1 through 6 and I'm reading from the ESV. Hosea 8, set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, My God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good, the enemy shall pursue them. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew them not. With their silver and gold they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria, my anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken into pieces. So the first thing I want you to see is that in any storm there is a warning alarm. Now Israel has been warned, but they've ignored the warning alarms. Israel has created this facade. If you remember from our previous lesson, everything looked good on the outside, but there was corruption underneath. I've quoted it before, but listen to what Isaiah said to Israel. Isaiah 29, 13. Therefore the Lord said, These people draw near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is but rules taught by men. God lets them know that he sees right through the facade. He sees their their bad heart, their wicked heart. So in verse 1, Hosea says, Sound the trumpet of judgment. Look back at verse 1 with me. Set the trumpet to your lips. If you go back and study the book of Numbers, and especially chapter 10, you'll find that the Jews used the trumpet to sound alarms to gather people together. So God is saying, sound the alarm. Israel, wake up. Pay attention, because judgment is coming. And God's trying to get their attention by sounding the alarm. And just like the siren sound when a tornado warning is given, God will sound alarms in our life too. And a matter of fact, most of the time he sounds it multiple times. Unfortunately, just like Israel, we don't pay attention and we ignore those alarms. Now he goes on in verse 1 and says, One like vulture is over the house of the Lord. A vulture is a signal too. It's a signal that there's death. The vulture signals that something has died and that they're circling over it. Vultures are scavengers. They don't kill their prey, but they eat what's already dead. And God created them to help clean up the whole circle of life. Now, one of my favorite movies is The Lion King, and there are so many godly principles that can be taught through this movie. Anyway, there's a scene where Simba, you know, he's run away because he thinks he's killed his father, Musasa. And now he's out in the desert, and he's passed out, and there's buzzards, or vultures, that are circling over But Timoyne and Pumbaa love to play a game called Bowling for Buzzards, and they see these vultures circling over him. So when they land, they go running after him and they scare him off. Now what they really find out is that Simba's not really dead, and they bring him back to life by giving him water. And the Israelites are just like Simba. They're near death because he says they have transgressed his covenant. Look with me back at verse 1. Because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. So the alarm is going off that God is bringing his judgment. But look how Israel responds to it. Look at verse 2 with me. To me they cry, My God, we Israel know you. Israel says, But God, we know you. We know your ways. We're going through all the motions. And this is a classic response of Christians or supposed Christians when they're confronted with their sins. They're quick to say, don't tell me what to do. I know what the Bible says. If you could see Israel's face, they would have been this puzzled look on it. And they would have said, God, what are you talking about? We know you. If you remember back from the lesson two weeks ago, there were two types of knowledge. There was head knowledge and there was intimate relationship knowledge. There are a lot of people walking around like Israel because they have a lot of head knowledge. What they don't have is heart knowledge. When my son was graduating from high school, I got a chance to speak at a chapel service. And I asked the students in the chapel service, how many knew about Hawaii? And most of them raised their hands. I then asked several of them, describe Hawaii to me. and you know, They answered like it was beautiful, there was clear water, there's mountainous terrain, there's flowers, there's pineapples, and so forth. But then I asked the question, how many of you have ever been to Hawaii? Now, only a few hands went up. Those that have been to Hawaii could even describe details that these that knew about Hawaii knew, but they couldn't talk to that detail. And that's the same way. There are a lot of Christians that have head knowledge of God, but they don't have a relationship. They know about God, but they don't know God. They haven't tasted the fresh-picked pineapple that Hawaii would have had. They haven't tasted that fresh-caught local fish that Hawaii would have had. They haven't experienced or tasted from a luau. Again, they can talk about it. They can talk about God, but they can't tell you how sweet God tastes. And that's how it was for Israel. They had the motions, but they didn't have the emotion that creates the purpose of the motion. And they're saying that we know the rituals. We know what the law says, but God says, whoa, you've missed the whole point. You have a nice facade for the others to see, but I see your heart. And that's what God really says here in verse 3. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. God responds, you don't know me because if you had an intimate relationship with me, you'd keep my commandments. You wouldn't chase after other false gods, but you would be content with our relationship. Instead, you've rejected the good to chase after the evil. You chase after the ways of the world. Those who have an intimate relationship with God will want to do what his word says, and they will want to chase after him and not the world. Now in verse 4 through 6, he says, You have turned to the world, not to me. You're doing things in man's way, not my way. He says, They made kings, they made princes, they made idols, they made alliances, they made governments, all without me. God says, You're impressed, you're honored by what you made with your own hands, but none of it's real. Listen to what it says in Psalms 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What God is saying to Israel is that you made some beautiful handcrafted idols in Samaria and in Dan, places you go to worship, but I didn't tell you to do it, and I'm not there. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27-28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bone and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He says you can look good, you can have a great facade to people, but I only see dead people's bones inside of you. As Christians, we have a choice. We can change on the outside, but that doesn't change the inside. Or we can change the inside, which will always change the outside. God is after your heart. He wants a relationship, not a rule follower. Now, I'm not saying this is easy because we all struggle with the flesh. The flesh pulls us into one direction, but we have to die to the flesh daily, as Paul says, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. We don't have to have a facade, but a relationship with the Father. And God's not concerned so much about what's going on on the outside, but he looks at the heart. In 1 Samuel 16:7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or his height or his statue, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I'll even take it one step further. I believe that God sometimes will call us to do something that will make us look foolish to those around us. Knowing what people think about God's plan for your life won't keep you from doing it, but caring what they think will. And God is looking for us to be obedient and faithful and not look at what man thinks because it's foolish to them, but to do what God says and be obedient. Now, my second point is Israel is reaping a whirlwind because they didn't listen to the alarms. There's a principle in life that you reap what you sow. If you plant a seed, then you reap a harvest from what you plant it. Look with me at verse 7. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no head, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. See, we reap what we sow, and that's a concept in life, but it's also taught in the Bible. Galatians 6 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he shall also reap. Israel is about to reap what they've been sowing for 200 years. Now when you read this, that they're sowing to the wind, you would think they're just throwing seed in the wind. But what it really means is that they're sowing something that no one else sees. See, you can't see the wind, so you're sowing something that others can't see. And Israel was doing things that they thought God didn't see. And since there wasn't a punishment for it, they kept on doing it. And God has inspired Hosea to say that if you keep sowing the wind, you're going to reap a whirlwind. And that will be a result in our life too. If we think that we can do things in secret, one day it's going to come back in full force. A storm on our life. Now we need to learn that sowing our secret sin will eventually bring forth a problem. Unfortunately, we get away with it at first and we continue to sow it. Over a period of time, we sow more and more until finally it comes back on us like a huge, mighty storm. Some people even say that the judgment isn't fair. It's more than the sin they sowed. But sowing to the wind reaps a whirlwind that will eventually swallow us up. Look with me at verses 8 and 9 where he says, Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey, wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. What we see instead of turning back to God, Israel does just the opposite. Storms that come in our life will make us stronger, but God allows storms in our life so that We will learn to turn back to him, for him to be our strength. We need to learn to rely on him and not ourselves. Think about Jonah. He was running from God, and what did God do? He sent a storm to turn him back. He knew the storm was for him, and the only way to make it stop was to turn back. When storms come into our lives, they are always to get us to look to God for our strength. As I said before, storms come to the righteous and the unrighteous. It rains on the just and the unjust. So storms in your life are not an if, but a when. And during the storm, it is God teaching us, no matter how big or small that storm is, that we're to keep our eye on Him. And if our eyes aren't on Him, then we need to turn back to Him. And God is teaching us that He is the source of our strength through the storm. If the storm has come, He's not going to rescue us from the storm, but He's going to help us through that storm. A lot of people look for a way to get out of the storm, but God says, No, 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 no. That's not why it's there. You're going to find me in the midst of the storm. And that's what I truly desire is that you to find me. So Israel doesn't turn to God, but they go to their enemy and they hire them. And he finishes verse 8 by calling Israel a useless vessel. Now in that day and time, a useless vessel was a pot that was cracked. What God has inspired Hosea to say is Israel has run off to Egypt and Assyria to find their answer. But when they got there, what they found out is they were a useless vessel. He paints a picture of them going up like a wild donkey alone, just wondering. Those people that they hired are going to turn on them. They aren't the solution that they think they've gotten. So what we can learn from this is that if we look for options or other solutions other than God, we'll get the same results. Man's logic may seem like a good answer, but in the long run, man's heart is evil. And it leads to destruction. We have to put our trust in God and follow after him. Don't look to others to rescue us because ultimately it's a false path. This takes me to my last point, which a storm should teach us to look to God. Israel looked everywhere but God. Look at the rest of the chapter with me. Verses 11-14 through Because Ephraim has multiplied offers for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousand, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offering, they sacrifice meat and eat it. But the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built places, and Judea has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. He says that Israel has created more altars for sinning. Instead of turning back to God, they just keep creating more altars to sacrifice their idols, which keeps increasing their sin. They just keep sinning and sinning. Now, first, we need to understand that when we give ourselves opportunity for sin, it shouldn't surprise us that we end up sinning. During the storm, a common response is to look for a way of escape instead of just turning back to God. Instead of repenting of that sin, they look to other ways to cover it up and get out of it. David, a man after God's own heart, did just this. If you remember, instead of going into battle, he stayed back. From his rooftop, he saw Bathsheba. And he had her come to his place, which led to his sin. And once he found out his sin had created a child, he called her husband home from war so that he could cover up his sin, that she would sleep with him and that it would be his child, or so they could say. When the man wouldn't sleep with his wife, because it wasn't fair that the fellow soldiers didn't get the same opportunity. David had no choice but to send him back. So he sent him to the front line and he had him killed. David tried to cover up his own sin with man's way. If he'd only turn back to God before he made things worse. So Israel won't turn back and a priest has this idea. We'll just create more laws. Look with me at verse 12. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousand, they would regard as a strange thing. First they know the laws and they aren't keeping them. Why do you think creating more laws would change things then? This is even in the mindset today, just make more laws because that's the answer to solve all our problems. There was probably some priest that's saying, God, just give us more laws because God, if you do that, they'll respond. And God says, if I give you 10,000 more laws, it won't help. This just shows that it was all about head knowledge. There are a lot of people that know the right thing to do, but they don't do it. Earlier, I told you that a common response when you confront someone about their sin is, I know what the Bible says. There are a lot of people walking around with head knowledge, so they don't need more knowledge. They're sick in their heart. They need a heart transplant. They have a heart problem. And these people can't overcome their desires of their evil heart. They're sowing to their flesh. And then he finishes up this whole chapter in verse 14. For Israel has forgotten his maker, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities, so I will send a fire upon her cities, and it shall devour her stronghold. God gets to the whole key here. They've forgotten their maker. Israel has forgotten her maker, and Judea has done the same thing. God isn't talking about everyone here. He's talking about a nation that knew him. They said so earlier. God was Israel's maker. Not only is creator of all things, but the reason they're existing as a nation existed. Listen to Deuteronomy 32, 6. He says, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? It says, Is God not the one who created and established Israel? But yet they've forgotten that. Instead, they go against God's commandment and they build temples at Bethel and Dan where they can worship idols. God had only commanded that one temple be built, and that was in Jerusalem. So building these temples was a slap in God's face. God also charges Judah with self-confidence. He says, Judah has multiplied fortified cities. Judah had lost all confidence in their divine protection, and they had built walls of protection for their cities. It wasn't that building walls of protection was wrong. It was that God hadn't told them to do that. Listen what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah 22:11. I'll read it from the New Living Translation. Between the city walls you built a reservoir for water from old pools, but you never asked for help from the one who did all this. You never considered the one who planned this long ago. Jeremiah also foretold of these walls coming down. Look at Jeremiah 5:17, and again I'll read that from the New Living Translation. They will devour the food of your harvest. They will devour your sons and your daughters. They will devour your flocks and your herd. They will devour your grapes and your figs. And they will destroy your fortified towns which you think are safe. Most people think that idolatry is about chasing after shiny objects, but that's just its fruit. Idolatry is an attitude that causes you to think of living only on your own pleasures and your own desires. It's putting yourself on the same level of God. Now, the scary part is it's really no different than what Satan did when God threw him out of heaven. I hear you, whoa, Tim, don't go get crazy on us now. No, we don't like to admit it, but that's what we're doing. We're just like Satan. You've forgotten your maker, and now you put yourself equal to God. In James 4, 4 James said, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Now, did you hear what I just read? By becoming a part of the world, by allowing the world to be put on the same level as God, that is adulterous. James is saying here that you could have had this relationship with God that is so fooling and He can meet every one of your needs, but instead you are thinking you need something else. You're telling Jesus that He's not enough. You need more. You're asking the one who can and is willing to give you everything you need to give you something else to replace Him. And that's why he calls it adultery. That's why it's idolatry and that's why God is saying he was going to destroy their city. Now look, I know that's pretty dark and I don't want to end on such a dark ending. So hearing how God is going to destroy their city, you might be saying, whoa, now that's really bad. You might think that God is mean or he's having a bad day and he's not mean. He's not having a bad day, but he's using tough love to pursue Israel. And because of their sinful nature, he's trying to get them to turn and look back to him. God's goal is not destruction, but it's restoration. Maybe God is using this for a wake-up call for you. Because you've rebelled against Him. Because you've chased after your own desires. God is using tough love on you. Now we've seen today that Israel is a broken vessel. A lost, wandering donkey. Doing their own strength. Chasing after their own things. Sadly, it doesn't matter how bad it gets, they won't turn back to God. But we can learn from that. You're not too far gone. God is knocking today. He's saying, won't you turn back to me? Won't you come back? I want you. I love you. And I'll go to any lengths to get you to turn back to me. Won't you turn back now? Won't you do that? God is knocking. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I thank you for this lesson, Lord. I thank you that you love us enough that you chase us. Even though if it's tough love, Lord, that you're doing that so that we will turn back to you. Lord, I thank you that there are a lot of warning signs that you send us. Lord, that there are alarms that go off. There are trumpets that you sound. Lord, I just ask that we would hear them and that we would turn before we get to the point where we have to go through a whirlwind. Lord, that we would understand that we reap what we sow. Even if we're hiding it and people don't see it, Lord, you see it. And that eventually it is going to reap a whirlwind if we keep it up. Last, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are a doer and not just a knower. Lord, that we would have a heart with you. Lord, we'd have an intimate relationship with you. Lord, we would keep your commandments and we would grow a more intimate relationship with you. Lord, maybe there's one today that you're knocking on their heart. Lord, I feel it that you're knocking. You're saying, won't you turn back? You're not too far gone. You can come back to me. I love you. And I forgive you if you will just turn and come back to me. Lord, they're chasing after their own thing. But you're standing there knocking on them and you're telling them, come back. I love you. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you at all. They've been chasing their own thing their whole life. They've never turned to you. Lord, I ask today would be the day that they would turn to you. They would say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I ask you to come into my heart, to be Lord of my life. Lord, that you would help me to walk with you on a daily basis. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you that you love us so much that you chase after us. Lord, we're going to give you all the honor, praise, and glory. It's in your name. Amen.